0: Quests that give you backstory moments to our characters, twists in the story, your students dodging an assault of arrows. These are the reasons you should be playing Fire Emblem Three Houses. I have my nitpicks, but where this part of the playthrough ends makes me very curious about where this is headed. My favorite story moment happened in this playthrough that I did, and it will be covered in the spoiler section. And all this goodness leads to a choice that will greatly affect the story. And man, does it. Is this game worth your time? Let's find out together, because this is nearly 26 hours with Fire Emblem Three Houses. Hey there and welcome to Quest Along. thank you for joining me. I've made it to the end of part one in this episode. There's definitely a cliffhanger type of ending right at the end where I have stopped, so there will be a clear point where we will talk about story spoilers, so check out the timestamps if you want to avoid any story beats. But let's talk about the nitpicks. What is starting to wear on me getting close to the 30-hour mark in this game? The monastery exploration. I do I do still enjoy some of it, but it has become a bit more superfluous with the numbers of items you get. Because it seems like most of them are just gifts that you give to your characters. So all these blue glowing items you grab are just to give them to raise motivation. And I don't do it that way. I mean, obviously I want to level up their skills, and that's good for them to stay motivated for that. But I would rather invite those people to dinner. I feel like that's a very easier way and less tedious to raise their motivation, plus it helps boost the support morale with multiple students, which I also prefer. Now I don't find everything worthless, it's still fun to talk to my students, fun to harvest the garden to raise my professor level, and nice to upgrade the statues to help leveling up. But I could definitely see how this could wear down some people, and if it's already starting to happen to me, I mean, not just starting, this is a very long time into this game, but I can look past more of those faults, if you will, with the game. A few of the story beats as well are kind of hit and miss. At least the overarching narrative does get a lot more interesting than in this portion of the game. But it does take a while to get brewing, and that is going to also turn some of you off. Thankfully, the battle system is excellent, and there are some new maps and terrain to shake it up quite a bit. Like this one map where lava is on the field and where you take damage if you wait on specific spots i've also really been enjoying the paralogue missions the green exclamation points they were interesting locations for battles and usually had a nice little backstory associated with certain characters i'm thinking specifically the green-haired people mission flane and uh, i'm blanking on their name but you get to kind of get a good backstory for them and it's cool there's some water in that level and different terrain so you have to hop over the islands thankfully i had my pegasus knight to get over there nice and quickly The nitty-gritty of battles is so much more fun than I thought it was going to be, and unlocking different classes really fuels this fire. I'm becoming to feel confident in my abilities. You also unlock affiliate slots, so you can take more people with you onto the battlefield per se, which then those people paired together increase their levels together. Kind of a really cool feature, especially if you're one to recruit other characters from different houses i haven't really gone too much into that myself but you could definitely level up a bunch of people at the same time so it's a nice little boon they got going for you i don't uh, one thing i've noticed is i don't really fiddle with the gambits as much as i thought i would i'm more concerned with pairing up certain class members together like having my brawler be close to my archer for support in case they get up in a bind but honestly my girl petra can nearly take out anything that gets thrown at her because she just destroys everything. Same with Edelgard, still mowing enemies down. The moment to moment and decisions that you do in battle is where this game really shines. I find myself excited to battle even still now, which probably makes sense to most people, but I've never really been drawn to this style because my brain generally doesn't work on trying to predict what's the best advantage position for all my units and such, but I'm getting pretty darn good at it so far. My peeps are dying much less. I do feel bad Dorothea did die twice in battles back to back, pretty early on too, so her experience was a little bit lower than I wanted it to be at some point in the game. So sometimes I still have to slow down and take an extra moment to get through things. But this is a great revelation for me who is not experienced in strategy RPGs and usually doesn't like them and throws them down after just a couple hours. I'm still continuing with Fire Emblem Through Houses. My favorite classes are definitely the ones that give me a lot more movement. That's why I really like the Cavalier, the Wyverin, and the Pegasus classes, because they can also move a second round after attack most of the time, so they can get out of situations and, you know, if they've killed somebody, they can move on to the next point to get an advantage. I also really like Linhart being a bishop. Yes, he made it to my bishop in this playthrough. He using warp to help out my slower units is a lot of fun. I can only use it once per battle, but I use it every match. Getting equipment upgraded and having accessories for some of your main damage dealers is definitely a strategy I use a lot. Both Byleth and Edelgard have a ring that heals them after each turn. Paired with getting some health sometimes after doing damage, they are usually in a good spot after a round of fighting. I do like that you can customize this quite a bit. And whether I'm supposed to repair an item or forge a new one, you kind of have that balancing act. And thankfully, by doing all the class stuff, I have a pretty good amount of resources. I'm still loving the anime aesthetic they got going with all these cutscenes. And they're giving me a decent amount to gush over in the spoiler section. And mostly they're keeping with a dark tone. So yes to all of that and let's keep it going for another couple hours. Early on in this playthrough section, there is a mock battle between the three houses, and man, is it a freaking fantastic fight. Seeing all the people you've run into in the monastery are now on the field, and having a pretty challenging fight because these guys and gals do not hold back. I love the dynamic of trying to get to the center of the map, where you want to control this artillery that shoots an arrow far, far distance, and just the fact that the other houses are doing their own thing. Yellow is only sending a few troops out while blue is advancing hard on the center. It was fun having this three-way battle that totally changed up the dynamic. I loved it so much. Honestly, I wish there was a multiplayer mode where three people could be doing this at one time, maybe local co-op. It just seems ripe for this kind of battle. There is a solid amount of missions in this section that I played through that vary up the flow, which is a good thing for me because I'm definitely not getting bored of it. So out of this big roster of characters we got here, there are still some standouts. But this is a nice grouping of students for House Red. And like I said earlier, if you don't like a certain person, you can always try to recruit other people. I recruited one new person in this playtime, Shamir, who's another cool sniper class. She doesn't seem to believe in the church and has some trepidation toward the Empire as well, so it's an interesting mix, but I like her quite a bit as a character off and on the field. And nice to have a semi-older person, too, minus Byleth. I would say I've done a similar amount of battle compared to the previous playthrough. Now, this one I put a little bit more time into than the first part, but also battles are taking longer because they have a bit more surprises in them that shake things up. But if you still want battles only to be the focus, this might be still a little bit hard of a sell, but man, does it make you get excited when you get them. Before we get to specific spoilers, this game does do a good job of letting you dive as little or as deep into character relationships and backstories. So you could in theory skip most of the trivial stuff. I mean, it's not super trivial because it helps with leveling up in stats. But you could pretty easily cater your playthrough to be more of a battle focus than I have been, though I am definitely headed in that direction of doing more battles and less monastery exploration but it is nice that you have that option so you could just focus on battles. You'll still get experience, You maybe your motivation won't go up as much, but there is ways to counteract that too because you could just hit rest for all the other times when you don't have battles to do and that will increase your motivation. So if you're worried that there's not enough battling, maybe there is your fix right there. Thank you for giving me your time and I hope you've enjoyed this part two. There are quite a few story moments I'm about to spoil and discuss which is excellent, that's a nice change of pace from the previous part. So let's get into this. Man, where do we even freaking begin? There's quite a bit to dissect here, so uh, let's just do it. I, I suppose I have to talk about the choice. In case you decide not to do the same choice as I did, Listen closely. I chose to accompany Edelgard to the capital. If you did not do that, maybe don't listen to this portion. I'll have a timestamp below for you. And by the way, this was so random and out of left field. I was headed to the dining hall to eat food and help my peeps, and I saw Edelgard on the way, and I just talked to her, and I got this ominous gold and red text, and I was like, okay, what's going on with this? And why is this such a big deal on whether... I have to go with her or stay behind I, uh, it, it didn't seem like it seemed like a small choice that shouldn't have such a big effect on the story but it says it does i mean this was a cool moment seeing her get the crown for herself there's a part of me thinking that she was actually going to kill her father right afterward but she didn't so that was nice that she didn't go so crazy i have no idea really what the other choice would do especially in this scenario i feel like maybe edelgard would just be a little disappointed in you and you just go about your day? I don't know. So let's fast forward to the very end when you're doing the tomb mission. When the betrayal happens down in the tomb I got another choice, either kill Edelgard or side with her. And what did I choose? I mean it took me a bit to choose not going to lie, but in part one I had some thoughts. This building sensation that I didn't like the church much with their no wiggle room on betrayers, and on Archbishop Rhea in general. I just thought there was something a little off with her, and with the opening cutscene, it just that was always in the back of my head. And if you also remember from part one, I picked House Red because of Edelgard to begin with. So I couldn't betray her now. So this is what happens if you choose not to kill Edelgard. Man, does Archbishop Rhea go psycho. There's definitely been this momentum building that she's an important figure in Byla's life, but she's kept it from me and I'm happy with my choice because, man, she's literally going to rip my heart out. Which kind of seems like she's done something to me, but either way she's freaking transforms into a dragon and she's psycho. So all those bad vibes I had of her... in the first part? Well, they came true. Uh, I don't know why she turned into a dragon, but that's pretty cool. So we get to run off and get stationed at some other rundown place, and most of our characters came with us. The only one that didn't was Flame, because she's very tied to the monastery. Flame, Flayne, the green girl. I can never remember how to pronounce her name. And, uh, it's... That's, they come around to Edelgard's betrayal pretty quickly, probably because of Byleth being the teacher that leaves. So I thought overall that was well done. And man, the next battle we go into, the final one before we Stop to go into part 2 of this game, which will be in part 3 in this quest along, is so freaking good. And man, is it pretty heartbreaking. Because we have to fight all the knights that I've seen around the monastery and the ones I've gone on missions with. Like Gilbert. I really liked Gilbert. But man, does he, he doesn't like me now that we've betrayed the church. This was such a long and high stakes fight and it was only amplified when you headed toward Rhea at the far end, and more knights came out. And even after the ambush, Catherine is there, and man, I'm like, I really have to kill all these people, I guess, I'm just gonna fight them. But at least I got the death knight on my side now, so that's kinda cool. And what an excellent build-up and just a turning moment for the story. And this wasn't even my favorite moment of this playthrough, but dang, was it really, really good. And at the end, Rhea turns into her dragon form after I, Whipped her to death with my Sword of the Creator, which has a new name now because it's fully unlocked and I can't remember it. But I do like how she calls you a piece of worthless garbage right before you fight her and it's pretty great. And yeah, she turns into a dragon and we stare her down and then it's over. I am so freaking excited to get to the next part, but we got plenty more to talk about before I stop this and go play some more. I totally called Edelgard being the Flame Emperor. I don't know if I would have caught it if they didn't have the scene where Hubert was running around looking for Edelgard. And then we just had met the Flame Emperor. And then it started making me think. I was like, wait, if, is she the Flame Emperor? And then I remembered the first time we met the Flame Emperor, Edelgard was also not in our party. So cool that she's the one running the show sort of and it makes sense from what she's been saying about how she wants to upset the world order like i talked about in part one and this explains a lot about the huber and edelgard conspiring because they really were and it also does make sense that when we see the flame emperor they are not really in cahoots with the other members and they think some of them are going too far so it all makes sense now There is a mini-scene somewhere in this playthrough where Linhart confides in you that he hates killing and doesn't think he was born for this way of life, and I think it's really well done. It seemed like a real conversation you'd have between a student and a teacher, or somebody just confiding in another. And after this scene took place, I really didn't want him to use dark magic on other people, because he didn't like to fight. And that didn't last long, he was blasting people with wind discs not too long after. It is the path we have chosen, my friend, and I'm sorry. Going back to the final mission, I defeated some of these strong figures in literally one hit with some of my arrows, and I thought that was funny after they talked all big and just plop, took about. But my absolute favorite moment comes after the betrayal. Now I knew my daddy, Geralt, was going to kick the bucket. He said he had something really important to tell me, and he would after the mission. And I'm over here like, yep, your death flag is just waving it right in front of my face, aren't ya? But I will say, Intelligent Systems got me. After Monica stabs him, the crazy red that we uh, saved earlier, Byleth turns back time, and I was like, all right, here we go, we're gonna save him. But the freaking bad mage comes in and stops me. And I'm not gonna lie, that hurt me a bit. Even with all these special powers, Byleth couldn't stop the death of his father. And we did get a good death scene overall because of that, and the last interaction about seeing his son cry for the first time, it's, it's actually pretty touching. And obviously I knew that Gerald was going to die, and then they surprised me like, oh, he will survive. And then, nope, they took it away again, so I thought that was pretty clever overall. And this leads us to track down the murderer, and we get my scene. This sorcerer uses Monica, or whatever her new name was, brutally to trap Byleth in this darkness realm. He rams his hand into Monica's chest and pulls out her heart, like, just, (laughs) it's pretty dark. And Byleth wakes up in this darkened realm where he's imprisoned, and Sothis learns that she is the goddess, because that is the name of the goddess that was once around, and she can combine with you, but it will make her disappear. It's an interesting sacrifice that you won't be able to hear her thoughts anymore or talk to her, but she'll still be a part of you because she's giving her will and the goddess power to you. So you combine and this blast of energy goes through you and your hair changes to a lighter shade and the sword of the creator is glowing and you freaking cut through the darkness realm back to where you got imprisoned and it's just so freaking cool it's such a good moment that got me so hyped to keep on going and man i don't know this if this game gives me another moment like that with some dbz flair to it powering up i'm i was just so excited to keep going and hopefully they'll give me more moments like that I don't think we're going to get a moment very similar to that, but this game is delivering on some good story beats and having some clever twists along the way. But enough of that, on to some quick bits. I have completed 15 little quests. I've also partook in 15 different battles. My highest character level is level 31, and that is Aelgard. My lowest level is Linhart at level 24. So far, I'd say my favorite classes are the Bishop, because you heal so freaking far from you. It's great, and definitely helped me out in a couple moments where I needed to heal in a pinch. The Grappler, Caspar, is just freaking pummeling people, and knowing that he can hit four times in a single bout is awesome. Warlock, Hubert is living his best life with his dark magic. And don't worry, Ferdinand did get his horsey, so he's a Cavalier class now, so that's always fun. And like I talked about earlier, any character class that gives me a lot of movement, I love it. My favorite characters so far, I would say, is still loving Caspar and Edelgard. Hubert is closely into that inner circle bunch. Narrator voice is still rocking it in between these chapters. So that's part two of this quest along. Man, am I excited to see where this is going, especially after that cliffhanger ending. Hopefully I won't make you wait too long. I'm going to try and finish up House Red's campaign for this next part. Unless it's super long since I've only just stumbled into part two, but that's the plan as of right now. If you're enjoying this, share it with someone who needs to sink into a strategy RPG on the Switch. I know you know someone. Until next time, spend your time enjoying the things you love.